Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, this is the podcast for Multi Faith Matters. I'm your host, John Moorhead. And uh, hopefully you are enjoying this podcast. This is not the only resource that we have through Multifaith Matters. Uh, we have additional podcasts. We have video versions of this, other videos. We have recommended books and articles and uh, a network to plug into. You can find all of that at our website at multifaithmatters.org, or you can also find links to our social media. I would encourage you to, if you find this helpful, to subscribe to our podcast and to our YouTube page and things like that. And of course, we are a nonprofit organization, but that doesn't mean that we don't need funds to do what we do. So if you find this kind of work helpful in uh, helping Christians not only fulfill the Great Commission and sharing their faith, but also loving their multi-faith neighbors, including those that they uh, have strong differences with, then please consider clicking that donate button and supporting the work that we do. Today we're doing something a little bit different, but I think uh, very important. A lot of times we talk about religious difference or interreligious differences. Today we're talking about something that's just as important in terms of ideological and racial differences. Uh, my guest today is Bradley J. Galloway, and I'll read his bio uh, for you. Bradley J. Galloway was a fixture in the North American right-wing extremist movement for 13 years and was the president of a racist skinhead gang for five of those years. It is these lived experiences that play a role in his work in combating violent extremism. Brad currently works as the coordinator of the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism at Ontario Tech University. Brad also works as a case manager with Life After Hate, where he assists others uh, to find their way away from violent extremism. He also conducts research and intervention work at, at the Organization for the Prevention of Violence. He's been a research assistant on a number of projects that are funded by Public Safety Canada and the Canadian Network for Research on Terrorism, Security, and Society. Brad has also served as a consultant for Google, Moonshot CVE, and the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, among others. His primary research interests include right-wing extremism and terrorism, preventing and countering violent extremism, and the roles of former extremists in commenting violent extremism. Brad, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Uh, I uh, am more, much more familiar with uh, doing some research uh, in terms of the academic work and looking at Islamic extreme, extremism, but so your conversation with me and I think the audience today will be extremely helpful. This all flows out of your experience. Can you share your personal story? How did you get involved in uh, right-wing uh, racial uh, supremacy and extremism and what kinds of things contributed to your moving in that direction? Yeah, I think um, um, the the biggest scenario that I that I refer to in this in this case is that you know we're all human beings. We're all growing up. We all are searching for an identity or a place in the world or belonging to something, and and uh, and that's that's kind of what happened. I, I mean, basically, I, I met I met with a friend who who had joined up uh, with this with these groups back when I was living in Toronto, and. And yeah, he 
he sold me a, a good story of like, hey, you can come in this group and you can have friends and you can have all these, you know, all these, um, you know, parties and all this stuff, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid that sounded pretty good. Um, but of course, I didn't really understand what the, all the politics he was talking about. Uh, that would come slowly. So he slowly sort of introduced me to, to like what what was, uh, you know, what was to be expected in, within these groups, but not not right away. So he you know, uh, introduced me to this idea that, you know, immigrants were destroying our society. And, and, you know, I had to listen to this type of music and here was some literature. It's sort of, sort of a slow process of, of getting me, um, you know, involved in, in what's now, what I know now as the right-wing extremist movement. And, um, basically it went from there to like, yeah, the, you, the belonging was there. These guys were there. They were really, they were real people. And, and it felt like sort of a, an envi a family environment. Uh, they, you know, everyone had similar ideologies. Uh, so it was kind of like, I mean, I described this as, uh, I was just in a, in a, in a meeting yesterday with some colleagues and I, and I say, you know, if it was a guy from the IRA or a guy from any kind of other gang or any kind of thing like that, I, I probably would have, I probably would have tried it out too. Right. Because it was really about the trust relationship. I had known this person from before, um, and this, this promise of identity and then belonging and brotherhood within this group. Um, and yeah, I mean, the ideology in itself came from, it stems from, uh, you know, whiteness in, in, in that sense, like that's really the only, um, the only thing that I had to meet the requirements of, and I met those requirements at the, at the onset. And then it was really um, how much this guy who, I guess you call him a recruiter or whatever, how much he could sell me the rest of the stuff along the way. Right. And um, yeah, it's about, uh, I guess, accepting those beliefs and willing to like put other things aside and, and, and get involved with uh, that, that kind of, that kind of group. I mean, really it, it's, it's the basic, if it, if it was something else, if there was other things that I could have joined instead of that, I think I would have, but hindsight's twenty twenty, And I ended up in uh, spending a lot of a huge portion of my life hanging around this movement for about 13 years. So, yeah. As you look back on it, do you, did you perceive yourself as having some needs or something that might've drawn you to this? Or my, my question is what's, what was your circumstance that connected you to it? Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than an average teen, I might go to a party. And in other words, is, is everyone susceptible or did, did you have something going on in your life? What are the dynamics going on there? I mean, I, I'm the first person to say that I believe that uh, anybody could become involved in, in these types of things with the right situations in play, like you're saying sort of thing. So, I mean, I think it, at, at, at some points, definitely I was in a vulnerable scenario. Like there's things that just added up in my life that, that, you know, um, whether it was recent sort of uh, moving away from other uh, uh, positive friend groups towards like hanging out with these guys in, in the bars and, and, and yeah, there's, there's some of that, that, that would, that would have come into play. I think, I think though um, these groups and, and people that are already in the groups know that they can see vulnerabilities and that they can see that somebody's in a place in their life that, that if they, you know, sort sort of dangle that, that fruit in front of them of this this opportunity and they they put it in such a way that it sounds like it will solve some of their problems where one of mine was like I had no place to belong I had no like real like friend group I had like 
you know, this or that guys to hang out with, but not like, um, not like, you know, what I was really searching for. And, and they had those answers. They said, okay, well, yeah, if you come here, you, here's the, the friends that you're looking for. Um, you know, here's an identity. We'll look out for you. We're like your brothers. We're like your family. We're like, you know, and, and a lot of the references within these movements is that they do say that they're like, yeah, you know, we're a brotherhood, we're a family, we're a, you know, so um, it's almost like them trying to take uh, the person away from the, from what, what their family is and, and, you know, bring them into, I mean, it's, this is similar to sort of cult ideas, but like, it's, uh, I think that's very, they're very present um, within, within these groups is trying to see where those vulnerabilities are and play on them. So each person has their openings, um, you know, whether it's like, uh, so Toronto, where I, where I grew up is, you know, there, it was uh, a lot of Orthodox Jewish people were in that neighborhood. There was uh, Filipino, so it was multiculturalism. So he really played on the guy, this guy really played on that saying, Hey, look, the Filipinos, the Orthodox Jews are taking over, you know, we need to take this back. So he was really framing him, his arguments on re like reality. So I could like go see there's a synagogue, there's, there's, there's the, the Filipino businesses, there's the Jewish business, like, and he really pointed those things out and, you know, for, for a young kid who I didn't really know much, I was just working, working construction jobs or whatever. And I'm looking around going, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this has uh maybe he's right. You know, like I'm giving it a chance and I trusted the guy. So trust is a huge, huge um, piece here. If, if they can, um, you know, draw people in with that trust piece, I think it, it, that's a huge, that, that's a huge dynamic here too. Right. So, yeah. So I think it's important for people to pick up on what you're saying here. You know, we, I think we tend to look at people in certain groups as almost the incarnation of evil. Right. Uh, and, and it's interesting how right and left on the spectrum play into that. If you're on the right, you're going to look at a Muslim extremist as the incarnation of evil and not your blind spot's going to be the far right extremism. Uh, if you're, you know, on the other side of the ideological spectrum, it's going to be reversed. So what you're saying is you weren't the incarnation of evil looking to hang out with other evil people. It was it was a social and relational process. Yeah, definitely. It's really about um, you know we're we're always seeking uh, a peer group that we're proud of in our lives, right? You know, and and that's um, you know, and for lost youth, young people, particularly, I think, um, and also nowadays, we're seeing it in, in sort of older populations too, that are joining up with these types of extremist ideas. It, it's like, it's, it's just that, that idea of like, look how many people believe, like we're here together we're doing this together. Like, just like, any, like a positive group would do like these guys frame it along that. And then it's, um, you know, I heard a guy recently say, then it's in the back room where they're telling you, hey, and here's our real plan that we're going to go do violence and we're going to do all these other things, right? And I think that exists across the, like you're saying, the ideological spectrum is that, you know, they may draw you in with something that could be even like real, like there's real things going, like real grievances in the world, um, whether it's like your, your, you know, your people have been impoverished or like you hear uh, in the, in the far right, they often talk about that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you're, you're being, everything's being taken away from you and given to them. Right. So us and them. So, and that's in all across the whole ideological spectrum. You, you look at um, all types of extremism, they're going to say, Hey, look, you know, whether it's the IRA, they're saying, Hey, look, the British took from us. The Islamists, it's like the West is, is destroying this. Like it, it's a, uh, 
this is just a, yeah, it's, it's a natural way for their recruiters to, to reach into people. Um, and that's uh, probably, we're going to get to it later, but that's what, when we're look, looking at trying to help people get out, we have to reach in and, and yeah. see their, that these are human beings. We're all human beings. We can help people. It's, you know, so. Yeah. One more, one more question about the in being in part. Well, what's the yeah. relationship between the draw of the ideology and those relationships did you, mm. you didn't start out saying, man, uh, you know, it'd be really cool if I had some relationships with people who were far right racial extremists. Uh, so what's that relationship? Did, was the relationships there and that was part of the story that you learned and, and adopted as the group? How, help us understand the connection there. Yeah. So, I mean, initially it's like, you know, you have this, I knew this person from earlier in my life who had gotten involved and I don't really know his process. So I can't talk about that. But for me, the process was I knew him. So it's kind of like, I'm more likely to trust what he's saying than if it was just some guy that I met on the street corner with handing out a flyer, right? Like those, that doesn't necessarily work as, as well, I think, in my opinion, I think it's the fact that I know I walk into a pub and I recognize the face and I, you know, I see that I saw how the guy was dressed. I mean, this is part of it too, is that, you know, he was dressed like a, a, a white power skinhead, right. When I saw him, but I noticed that, but like, I, I saw that, but I, I really just saw the person that I knew though. So, and I, that's why I gave it a chance. I don't think if I didn't know that guy, I wouldn't have sat down next to a, a, a Nazi skinhead guy and started talking to him. Like right. it just, that wouldn't have been a thing I did that day, but because I knew him, I, I, you know, I had honest uh, uh, curiosity too to find out what um, what did has my friend be, become involved in as well, right? So, um, and then he was he saw I guess a point that I was at in my life. You know, uh, obviously, uh, I, th I think about this quite often. I, I mean, I was showing up to the pub alone, right? So I was looking to meet people, right? So uh, this guy. He had that too. He had, hey, you know, I'm here. You're here. You know, you didn't come. You didn't come here with nobody, so you're going to listen to me, right? So he had that sort of advantage over the, over the conversation, um, and yeah, I was certainly looking for that that in group to hang out with, and and he, I think the guy sensed that, and that's, um, and that's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, the, that's the that's the unfortunate reality of this stuff is that we. We're all human, so we do want to, uh, you know, when we when we talk to people we know, we, I mean, even even nowadays, I, you know, when, when people ask about, hey, what do I do about my family member that's in QAnon or the far right or this or whatever, it's it's the same thing. It's that this is a person we know, so we have it. We care to like I cared to find out why my friend here was involved in Nazism, but then he had enough on his you know, in his mind to, to come and try to draw me along too. Right. So, um, and I was just, uh, it happened to be that I was at a point where I was accepting some, some new beliefs into my life. Right. So, yeah. So you're a member for 13 years and at some point, uh, you, there was something that led to your dissatisfaction or facilitated the exit. What, what happened? What, what led to that change? Well, uh, it was, it was no one thing. There was many, many things that sort of, that we're, we're coming along and, you know, firstly, the amount of time that I had spent in the movement, uh, I think around, probably around 2008, um, I, you know, I had got married that year. Uh, I started to, 
you know, question, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of things. And this was like sort of at the height of my involvement in, in the, in the movement as well. It was, it was becoming very exhausting having to like be this each day, uh, hating people for what, like, I was starting to think of like, for what reason am I, um, and, and I always had this, my wife on my shoulder, cause she was never involved in it. And, and she was, you know, she would always say like, well, what is this? Like question this, like, why is this like, why, how could you hate all of this? Like, what is, you know, um, or there'd be a, you know, situations where the guys weren't following their rules of the constitution of the, the group or whatever. And she'd be like, you know, how is it that a white supremacist is dating a, a not white person? Like, how could you, how is this person involved in your, so then the question started to rise and I'm like, okay, now this is happening. All these things are happening so often. And I'm like, I, I don't know, but at this point I was a leader. So I'm going, I don't, I can't just tomorrow wake up and decide I'm now going to leave. I'm going to have to make some sort of plan about how to, how to, how to do that. I would stay involved for the next few years, but very skeptical uh, over the next, those next years of involvement and, and questioning more and more as it went on. And I think 2009, I had a child and that, that sort of really certified the, the, there's no way I'm going to be able to teach this stuff that I'm involved in to my, my child. So at the point where, you know, she was a baby, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I got a bit of time left to try to distance myself. So um, yeah, by 2011, uh, my wife had firmly had enough and she's like giving me an ultimatum, like, you know, Hey, it's going to be our family. Cause we were, um, you know, pregnant with another, another uh, child coming along and it just, that was it. It was, it was this or that. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for her in that sense where she gave me that like firm, Hey, this is going to be it now. No more sort of dabbling or figuring out how to leave. We'll figure it out. So over the next while it was, it was, you know, uh, figuring out how to physically disengage from the group, which took a while, you know, moving and, and doing things that, you know, readjusting life and, and all of that kind of thing, which, uh, which are challenging, situa challenging situations. But I, I think that, um, you know, when I look back on it, I see these different things that happen along the way. And um, just like when I got into the movement, I had this trust, I had this relationship with this guy who sold me, you know, this great story of the movement. I also now have this relationship with my wife and my kids that were teaching me empathy and teaching me to look at human beings rather than, you know, you know, putting everybody in, in their own silo, in their own box and trying to, uh, you know, divide everybody. And, you know, that's um, for the next few years, that's what would happen. Like the people talk about, Oh yeah, you disengage, then you do right. Oh, you're done. It's not like that. It's, it's, I think for people who spend more time in it, and, and a lot of them would tell you this is that it's um, it's quite a process to, to get away from it. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely possible and that's why it's important to have dialogue like this to, to, um, to explore those factors and, and figure out where, where we can help other people in the same, in the same route. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think there's a tendency for outsiders to kind of simplify or oversimplify, you know, it's just, we'll just mm -hmm. change your mind about it. And uh, it's just a change of ideas. And then you just come out and things are great, but I don't think they realize your identity is tied to it. 
these relationships, you've got a worldview. So even though you had your, your wife and child as a support system, was it still somewhat of a struggle to, to make that exit? Well, yeah, because think, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I mean, you could, you could even put this in the context of religion, right? So um, all of a sudden you just, you just don't believe anymore. Right. Like, this was the thing, like you said, this was the identity. This was a lifestyle. This was everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, nope, it's all gone. I don't think that's possible. Like, I just don't really think, you know, and it wasn't, and it was hard. And it was like, you know, those day-to-day situations and, and reteaching your mind not to say, okay, that's an Asian. Why do I care? If that's an Asian person. I shouldn't, I, who cares? It's a Canadian person. It's an American who cares, but why even think about the people? And so that's sort of the rethinking of the whole like training of the brain. Um, because it was, like I said, it was exhausting. The 20, like this, I often say this is like the 24 hour uh, a day hate. Like, how do you hate 20, like 24 seven, you wake up and then you see a indigenous person walking down the street and all of a sudden you hate this. Why? You know, so it's that question, those questions that you you have to work on um, uh, to move yourself away from these types of groups. And it's like, and these, these ways of thinking, they're like, they get deeply sort of ingrained in your day-to-day life, right? Um, and I mean, it's also the, the subcultural stuff that, you know, I was part of a movement that was like a skinhead movement, right? So it was like, you know, okay, so you wear boots and you, there's a way you dress. There was a way you sort of talked about things. There was a, there was a type of music you listened to. There was, all of that had to go. So how does that really happen? You know, like you don't just wake up one day and decide, okay, well, I'm not wearing any of those things. I'm not listening to that anymore. And I'm not thinking like this anymore. Like it was just not, um, that was not possible, but so yeah, leaving the group in itself is really disengaging. So not being part of this group is, is, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I would say that's one of the, the most important steps in the, in this process. And that's something that has to, obviously it has to happen, but it's, um, that's just the start of the journey, you know, for many. Right. So yeah. Sounds yeah. like a challenge. If I understand the statistics uh, correctly, there's been a growth in the last several years in far-right extremism. What kinds of things are going on, not just politically, but you know, in the broader culture that's contributing to, to all of this? Well, I mean, people always want to equate this to something, to something, main thing that's happening. I think it's ma- I think it's many things. I think it's like, um, yeah, political climate is one of them. When when we're divided, I think I think uh, actually, um, uh, President elect Biden. He's one thing that resonated with me when I was watching, and I'm Canadian, so uh, forgive me here, but but I I did re- this did resonate with me when he said, you know, he was just talking about the pandemic. So it's a similar sort of item, right? Is like. If we, if we don't look at this uh, collectively, you know, and we're looking at it divided, we're going to fail at this, right? I mean, that's, those are the same way we need to look at violent extremism, whether it's, uh, you know, Islamic inspired extremism, right wing extremism, like we need to look at it as, as a broad society, as the society. But when the society is right now, the way that things are going, we have like these you know, all sorts of different types of far right groups that are existing. Um, and, and also, I believe it's it's the media plays a huge role here, too, of like perhaps maybe 
putting those groups up on this huge platform uh, and giving them like making it shedding light on it, making it a, a lot bigger than it, than it could be. I mean, if we look at the actual membership in these groups, let's, I, I don't like saying their names because, because I just don't like giving them a shout out, but we can talk about alt-right groups. We can talk about neo-Nazi groups. We can talk about accelerationist groups, but we look at actual membership in these groups. Um, like, are we really talking about something that's, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to take down the, the risk of it, but I'm trying to say that um, I think, I think we, it is something that we can deal with and it's something that we, we are prepared to deal with. And, uh, but society has to look at this in a, a much more streamlined fashion that we're doing this together and we're not doing it separately. Um, and it's not something that's associated with our mainstream, right? And I know there's a lot of research that says, okay, well, yeah, the extremists are trying to make it go mainstream. Well, yes, they, they'd love to do that, but let's not let them do that as Americans and, and as Canadians. Let's be, you know, we can work on those things together. And whether that's, you know, we're working on it in uh, faith-based communities, we can work together. Definitely in civil society, like grassroots stuff, like where much of the work that I do is, is connecting with other, you know, grassroots organizations to do, the same type of work so we can do it collectively rather than separating ourselves in silos. And that's what they'd like though. That's what the extremists want, no matter which side they're coming from on the extremism. They want, um, if everyone's separated and divided, then we're all warring each other. And it's, that's what they want. They want disaster. They want societal decay. They want all those things. So we need to be that together notion that I know it sounds great but that's exactly what we do need and it's like we need to stop seeing each other as as enemies of this because really uh violent extremism it should be the enemy of of you know of, of of american society canadian society any society right should be rejecting this stuff right so it should be you know i know it's it's tough to put in, in into that context but often people try to blame it on stuff or they'll blame it on you know, the, that political climate that's going on with the last four years or, or the, the time before that. I mean, in, 20, in 2008, this was a huge, this is a personal sort of instinct story on how much that can matter to these groups if you give them that fuel, right? So 2008, Obama gets elected. Okay, obviously a black president is going to be something that is uh, annoying to the far right and is going to present a you know, an option for them to recruit people, right? Just as if we give them this platform with the, the Trump uh, administration, if we send them and say, yes, this is great for you guys, they're, you know, they are going to use this as a platform. They will use any platform to recruit. They don't care if it's the Trump administration, Obama administration. They'll use anything to get people involved in their movement. That's what they want. They want numbers and they want, you know, to destroy America. That's the point. So, at the end of the day, what do we do? Like, we need to we need to respond to that as a, a greater community, not just sit here and go, oh yeah, well, it must be because of this. Now nah, let's try not to do that because they will, I mean, I've seen them use, uh, you know, economics. I've seen them use uh, climate. I've seen them use all sorts of platforms to push their messaging. So it's a, you know, it's it's a, it's a multi-pronged effort. So that, that that's the thing is that we need to come come at that. And we're much bigger than the extremist groups, right? Broader society, so yeah. What's the role of the internet? I've seen some articles that almost blame the whole phenomenon on, you know, the, the internet's there and that's it. I've seen other that to me, uh, as a non-specialist in this area, 
seem to be arguing that it's a tool. We've had extremism for a long time and uh, they used or draw upon whatever tools are at their disposal to help with their movement. And the internet's a good tool. What's the role of the internet in the growth of these kinds of groups? Well, I mean, I often put this, uh, put at least far right extremism into, in, in my life, I look at it uh, pre 9-11 and post and then you got the, you know, pre-internet, like the pre-9-11 internet of like these like websites and, and sort of like Yahoo and, and you know, the Napster. And then after 2001, um, these guys started getting a little smarter with their internet, if you, if you will, and, and sort of building their presence, started to, um, you know, monetize the, the internet to, to push their uh, violent extremist groups, you know, selling stuff online, doing that. I mean, that was present before, but it became really, 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 really popular. Um, and then, of course, I talk about the, um, the Stormfront uh, sites like that being like, you know, communication zones for like all white nationalists to go to, all white supremacists to go to. And then you have like, then the group like forums sort of they're trying to get you from the main communication forum to the other group forums. And then of course our social media friends came along with Facebook and Twitter and, and this just sort of added more uh, opportunities. Like I said, like I was saying before about the, the platform, so they can use like real world uh, political climate platforms to jump onto. Uh, but they, now they're using actual sort of virtual platforms to try to jump onto as well. So, you know, and then of course the, the re, more recently they had the four chans the, and all the different apps, telegram, all this stuff. I mean, they will literally use everything to try to uh, accelerate their, their whatever, uh, you know, whichever group they're part of. I mean, it's, that's, that's the point though. Um, and I think, in in the in the early 2000s it is i mean i will say that i think the internet had a lot to do with transnationalizing the far right movement i mean i was in a group specifically that you know because of the internet we were able to make chapters in 11 countries around the world right and i don't think that would have happened otherwise because we were often without resources we wouldn't have been flying around to uh, all all different countries you know doing that um, I think, uh, I think the internet really connected, connected there and, and gave us that. And also now, like I said, with goes from commu communication forums to the group forums, then into the social media. So then everybody has their own social medias and they're all, you know, more a chance to recruit and suck people into the movement. I mean, yeah, uh, the two thousands was, was a tough time for that. It was a huge thing for recruitment. Um, I'm, I'm often, uh, part of the camp that knows that I know social media companies are working hard on it now. And I know they're doing lots to try to uh, circumvent these groups from using their platforms, but man, it's, it is a real game of whack-a-mole with trying to get rid of the groups and, and imagine all the individuals that are just trying to use it for their own, uh, you know, uh, recruitment purposes or their own trying to, uh, you know, sell ideology to even just their little friend group on Facebook, you know, like it's, uh, that it's, it's a massive mogul. And there's, I don't think there's, I mean, for, for me, I don't see, I, I don't see how we're going to really put a dent in that. I think we've slowed it down, but I don't think we, you know, it's, 
it's there. So they're going to use it. I mean, uh, whether it's ISIS or, or white supremacist groups, you know, if there's an opportunity, they're going to do it. They're, they're, they're just, and especially if it's free. I mean, that's the, um, I mean, what, one of the biggest things about uh, terrorist groups is they, they often operate with low, low budget. Right. So, and they figure out ways to do it. So we've got to, we've got to figure out ways to, to slow their usage of our, of our, at least our mainstream platforms. We've got to try to keep them. I, I'm, I'm one of those people. We've got to keep them away from it. I understand that that could push them to other places, but I don't know. I, I still think I'd, I'd rather not have them on, on our mainstream platforms uh, recruiting new people. So, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of similarity, but I'm sure there's also a lot of differences and diversity amongst these different groups and movements and so on. Um, so we, I don't want to oversimplify, you know, the process here, but you mentioned that the goal is, is polarization, division, anarchy for a lot of these folks. Is that the end game the, the desired result, or is that something that they hope to achieve as they look beyond that to something else? What are they looking for? Well, I mean, dependent on the group, um, you know, I mean, in accelerationism, they're, they're looking for the, the end of days, you know, the day of the rope, the, the, these things they talk about, which is not much different from when we look back into the 1980s, we see the, the order, that's what they were, they were trying to do, uh, you know, loosely, of course, based on literature that exists within the far right, like the Turner Diaries and Hunter and these, these types of things. Um, yeah, I mean, violence, I think, is the, is the key word here. They're looking for violence, they're looking for civil unrest, they're looking for societal breakdown, um, so that um, you know, if, if you create the violence that extreme answers need to come from government, some groups aren't looking to overtake the government, like they're, they're actually sort of even loosely aligned with it. Like you, some of the, these extreme right groups are like, yeah, we're, you know, pro police, we're Republicans, like, or whatever they, whatever they're saying they are, but they still want violence in society to create enough dissent to get, um, their extreme version of whatever they believe in, right. In, into, into the mainstream right so um and then of course the real extreme um guys want to to see the complete toppling of everything in in america and and want to see uh, a new government come and uh particularly national socialism uh, return that kind of thing um often delusions of grandeur you know these these um they're seeing themselves almost as an army or, or like adam often refers to themselves as some revolutionary uh, soldiers or whatever. Um, and I, and I just picture, uh, sorry for being so real here, but like the, the American army and then Adam Waffen, and I'm kind of like, I'm dumbfounded with like where they think they would actually Adam Waffen would get with against the U S army. I, I just don't, it's it, that I, it, it often like the way that people equate the, the extremeness of it. And then the war that they're talking about, I'm like, remember the war would be against like, the allied forces of the world. So I just don't think, you know, 28 guys that are loosely trained are going to do, uh, you know, yes, they can do things that are awful and have done horrific things, the, the far right. Um, but I really don't think, um, I really don't think in the grand scheme of things, they're the, the so-called Turner Diaries race war day of the rope thing is, uh, is the possibility. And I, and I'm just trying to be, society forward thinking like you know we have the answers to to deal with these things so let's we should often talk about how we are prepared to deal with it and i think i think um 
there are people, there are leaders definitely in our communities that do talk about that. And they say, yeah, we're ready for this. We can deal with these violent extremists and we will deal with them, right? Um, and we see right now, um, there's, you know, one case that's going on in, in uh, with the, there was a Canadian guy who jumped the border and there's some, you know, some things going on. They're all in, before the courts. Like these people have been caught and that's, we should also focus on that, that we're doing, we're, we are doing, what we can right now. We're trying to look at these things, and we're. I think uh, Department of Homeland Security is doing a lot right now to to look at far right extremism in in the United States. I think, of course, there can always be more more, but there's uh, um, a lot of steps have been made over the last decade to to look at this. Um, and and it just and we have to understand how fast does policy really go through government as well. Like it's not something that's going to happen over overnight. Like people often want that answer, you know, right now. And it's like, well, that's not how these things work. They have to pass through a lot of things before they become a reality. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm from the camp of, of the people that think that we, we can do this, like we can deal with this. And I think, um, you know, I'm not a defeatist in that, in that sense. So, yeah. Well, for the last part of our conversation, let's talk about that part, you know, mm -hmm. how we can do this. Um, I remember after the alt-right uh, rally, uh, when uh, a gentleman got into his car and plowed into uh, the folks that were there killing a young woman. And some of the discussion of that on social media, on Facebook, I saw a lot of my friends on the left get behind this idea of punch a Nazi. And I stepped in because of my work in peacemaking and interreligious dialogue. And I said, you know, I just, I don't think that's an effective approach. I mean, it may appeal to an individual that they're they're getting even with, they're, they're taking a stand. I saw one guy posted a picture of, I think it was uh, Captain America pun punching a Nazi from comics, you know, in the 1930s and 40s. But then I, I listened to people like uh, the late uh, neuroscientist and uh, peacemaker, Emile Bruno, and he was talking about empathy. And he said that uh, he watched a young man who was affiliated with these rallies and he started, you could tell he was starting to have a change of heart and it wasn't the shaming of the crowd that did it, it was, he said, in his experience, it's always somebody who's extending undeserved empathy and care to an individual. Would you resonate with that? What types of things do we need to be doing? How do we resist the urge to respond to far-right violence with violence and, and engage in more, more strategic and effective kinds of approaches? Yeah, I mean, that I, I definitely, um, I mean, I could I could tell countless stories about how empathy won won the battle more so than than more violence. I mean, it's uh, there. There's, you know, I have colleagues that are also former uh, formers, and and uh, you know, everybody's stories have have a little bit in it of this empathy piece, you know, and um, you know, in 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 the sense of understanding from my perspective, I, you know, when I was in the movement, you know, I my life was saved by a Jewish doctor uh, early on. And, and, you know, I used that scenario to promote violence or whatever at the time that, you know, I went out and I was fighting and I, I covered up the fact that there, there was this guy who came in and didn't say, uh, you know, Hey, you're a, you know, he, he was a Hasidic, like Orthodox Jewish guy. And he didn't mention, Hey, you're an, a neo-Nazi. I can't like, you know, I can't, serve you or save you or do anything like that he just did a, went about his business and sent me on my way right but um i remember that as a piece of when i was doing my ideological healing away from the movement 
as like, well, it's that type of thing. It's when we look at, you know, when somebody reached out their hand and, and didn't judge you and didn't treat you like an enemy or, or a foe or this type of thing, or someone who's awful, horrible people, like any, any of these things you can come up with. And I remember that same, that same thing again with the, with um, Charlottesville, there was, there was an incident, I think where there was a, a young uh, white fella who, who had was getting attacked by some, uh, some, some protect protesters and he happened to be a, a neo-nazi guy but then a black fella came along and and helped him out of the crowd you know and and uh you know instead of adding fuel to that fire that it was a very volatile crowd could have gone a, a really different way but because this gentleman decided to say you know what i don't want to see this guy get beat up i don't care who he is. i don't care if he's an i don't care what kind of human being this person is i'm going to go and take him out of there and make sure he did no more violence right and that that to me is amazing and, and then then of course i remember there's a video of a, a prominent uh white supremacist guy getting punched and i was thinking you know what does this accomplish you know we're going to um, if we're going to promote violence, we're almost just as bad as the what these people are saying themselves. So how about we don't punch Nazis? How about we talk to them about what's going on? What is because I know in, in my life, I was just at a point where I was just sort of lost in life. And I was just looking for somewhere to belong to and, and looking for an identity in life. Perhaps some of these people are going through the same same issues and they just don't understand the world. So let's have a conversation about it. Right. Um, and differing views are not a reason to like beat, beat each other up. Like we should, we should be able to have a conversation about things without punching each other. Right. So, um, you know, I think of nonviolent tactics. Like I think of, you know, um, in studying martial arts, how important, things like meditation and things like clarity and things like that are in life, spirituality, a lot of different things. They, those things come in and ground us. And it's, it, it really doesn't ground us when we get, when our, our knee jerk reaction is to use violence to solve violence. Why? What, what did we get out of it? What do we get out of it? What's come out of that Charlottesville uh, incident? A, a woman has lost her life. It's tragic. Right. And, that's this is you know that's all all that does is create more violence from you know why why do this why can't we have a conversation about it why can't we try to figure out those things before these tragedies happen like we don't have to we have to understand these are human beings are doing these things too these these types of attacks so where have we let humans get to that they're in that place where they feel they need to do that right so I think some of the some of the um, this is on us as a society that we're sort of we're we're left in a place where we're so divided, right? So we have to come back together to to work on this together because it's a uh, man. It's 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 hard watching those types of things, you know, because we we see them fairly often nowadays where where there's these different types of attacks, whether it's the Sikh Temple shooting in Wisconsin, whether it's Charlottesville, you know over the last uh, decade, it's been, it's been a lot to deal with, right. For, for society. And that's what, you know, how do we come around from that? And I think, I think, you know, when you mention empathy, I think empathy is one of the most important parts here of us, of ourselves as, as community members and moving on and trying to get to a place where we're, 
where we're not warring all the time and we're not wanting to just punch each other over everything, right? Because it's we're not going to solve anything. We're just going to it's a it's going to perpetuate more awful things happening, right? So yeah. Yeah, I, I recently jumped into a Facebook comments uh, section. Somebody posted a, a, an essay someone had written about it from the perspective of the left of now that they've won the election, you know, the other side on the right, they've got to apologize and we're not going to have unity unless they take certain steps and acknowledge everything they've done. And I, my, from my perspective, I said, look, you know, I, I don't think you can hold out those things unless you do A, B, and C, I'm not going to seek unity. Don't we have to come together and then in that context of togetherness and exploration, doesn't mean we're we're glossing over our, our deep differences. It just means that we're coming together to try and work through it. And through that process, then forgiveness becomes possible. Am I missing something here? No, that's, I mean, that forgiveness is, is a, it's a tough thing though. Right. And, and, and it's a, it's a process and it's not something that just like, you know, happens. It's just like, you know, uh, and that, that's that too. Like when I'm dealing with a, in a lot of my work, I, I, I'm helping a lot of people. Um, and, and I know that forgiveness from like, my perspective from my wife and from the those communities that my groups affected that didn't just and may never happen and i accept that i, I accept if they don't want it that's fine you know you don't have they don't have to forgive for the my involvement in that and that's the way we try to explore those things is like don't expect certain things to happen from things because forgiveness sure can happen and it's about having those those, those tough real tough conversations I mean, I remember myself and a colleague being in a, in a synagogue and we're talking about our time in, in the movement. And yeah, talking to the people afterwards, I just don't, you know, it was really, really nice for them when they were coming up and saying, you know, we forgive you, you know, your, your, uh, your actions are not, don't define your future, you know, and, and things like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't deserve this. I, 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 that's how I felt. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think I deserve this, but, uh, but I thank them, you know, because that's, that's important um, for them to feel like they had a moment to say, you know, I see what, what you guys did and who you were, but we, we forgive you as a community. Now, you know, that's a really meaningful point and they sure don't need to do that. Right. But we had some, we had some tough conversations, which led to, that right i mean i and i one of the biggest conversations that that means so much to me in, in my in 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 my sort of journey here has been i was filming a documentary three three years ago i think and there was a guy working on it and he told me the story about his his mother how always had a bag packed under the bed uh and they were jewish um because she she feared when the nazis were going to come back and that she would have to run again. Um, yeah. And he, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure he was one of the people who wanted to, sh to share that story of like, you know, this is the reality of what people are, how people are living. And you were living like, you were living like a neo-Nazi and here is my mother, an elderly person who is scared for her life still since the 1940s. Is that fair? Not at all. Right. It's, it's not fair for her to be reliving that trauma over and over again, but it's, it, what is fair is that I know that as a person who lived this life, I should know 
that, that people were going through that when they saw us walking down the street that reminded them of that. Right. And that's what he was, I think, sharing that to, to let me know that. And that was really res like really resonated with me that he, you know, had the courage to share that story, first of all. Um, and, um, yeah, it just, those, those types of things, I think, but maybe he was now able to move on with a little bit of his trauma that he, he has had in his life, which these are important things for us. Instead of punching each other, I'm sure he wanted to at, at points, you know, when we were working uh, and I don't blame him for those, but instead of doing that, we interact and t these tough conversations, they work out. And I think we were able to, to converse uh, more. And, and open up doors that we would never have been able to open up if we were like, oh, we just solved it with punching each other. Okay, and it's not solved because we're going to want to punch each other every time we see each other, right? So it's, uh, and I think that's the whole anti-fa far right thing right now. It's like, oh, I'm going to punch you, you're going to punch, you know, well, why? You know, I get it. I, I, I get society doesn't need neo-Nazis. No, it doesn't. But uh um what's who are those people they're they're human beings in there and, and granted i understand there will be some that are uh some extremists that are too far down the road i mean we we, we understand that but there there are people that we can bring back into i think so in terms of how people can help one thing that i read in an interview that you gave that really struck me is you encourage people not to go after refuting the ideology but to rehumanize people I think we're so focused on ideas and winning arguments in our culture that we've lost sight again, coming back again to that relational component. Why is it important for people if they wanna to help to, to not go with that first instinct? If I just refute this racist ideology, then I'll, I'll win the person. Why is that strategy usually doomed to failure? Um, these are people with beliefs of their own. These are like the human beings who thought you know, maybe they read somewhere, maybe they grew up with it, maybe they are in a hate group, maybe they're whatever, there's a lot of things going on. So instead of challenging that ideology, I, I asked the person about them, who are you? What do you do for a living? What do you want to do? What are your aspirations? What are your dreams? We're all human. We have these as human beings. We all have those. So let's talk about those. Let's set some goals. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. You know that ideologies will change as we get along, you know, as, and I often, I try to uh, encourage people to do if they've given up on, on spirituality, they've given up on, on a, you know, going to church or going to a synagogue or whatever it is that they, they went before us, you know, that was a positive, they talk about in sociology, like a positive attachment to community, right? So go back, do that, mate. Um, build relationships back with your parents or, or people that you lost touch with because you became involved in these groups. Um, you know, spend more time with your kids if they have kids or, or, you know, spend more time outside doing physical activity, trying to, uh, you know, get them involved in pro-social activity because it's the anti-social activity that's within these groups, the hate, the fear, the paranoia, all this stuff that's going on that you want to get them away from those activities. And yeah, the ideology, I mean, like, like I was saying, it's 24 hour a day hate when you're in the groups, but like if you're spending your time walking the dog, going to hang out with your, your dad, going to church, going to whatever, you're not going to have, by the time you're done all these things, 
and, and you're happy and you feel better about yourself as an individual, we hope that you're not spending your time sitting in front of the internet trying to look at hate videos or trying to, you know, get get involved in these uh, echo chambers, right? Because we're all, I think, this sounds, this sounds whatever, I, it's a wishy-washy, but it's it, like, I often tell people like, you know, what are we all in the pursuit for? We are in the pursuit for happiness, right? We are, we are all looking for happiness in our lives. Like we don't want uh, another negative thing around the corner, right? And that's what, um, unfortunately, within these groups, it's, I'm not even talking about the ideology, it's the group in itself and the belonging to that group. So when you walk down the street, you're a neo-Nazi, you're all dressed up like that, you're going around, the likelihood of someone else assaulting you and you losing your life, like why are you putting yourself on the line for what? What's going on? Why don't you want this, the, the positive life where you have, you know, positive relationships, positive goals, you know, go back to school, get a degree, go get a degree, go do some studying, go whatever. Like there's lots of things in the world. So trying to open up the doors of opportunity to, to human beings to see that there is a different opportunity than what they're doing. Um, and not saying it's bad what you're doing, just saying, if you adjust what you do, you might enjoy life a little better. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's not about judging people for what they've thought or what thoughts they've had in their mind. Right. Like, I mean, it's, we have all had times in our lives where we probably don't like ourselves for some things that we've thought. Right. Um, you know, and I think, I think human beings are redeemable. I think that's, that's, that's the, that's the point, right? Like it's kind of like the idea of the guy who goes to prison for 30 years or whatever, you know, they kill somebody and they get out after 30 years. Do we help that person? I think we should. I think we should help that person. What they're lost. They're a human being. They've, they've done their time. They were sentenced to X number of years and they did all their time and they're out. So should we, they're not a throwaway. They're also a human being. We should also help this person. So it's, it's similar to that. I, you know, I have to talk about that. We cannot judge them by those actions that 30 years ago, that does not define them. They could be something else. They can be different, but they should, um, you know, they, they should understand the, their actions and take accountability. So we talk about accountability a lot, right. To be accountable for the time that you spent in the, in the movement, but also know that you can move on, right? How can folks uh, find uh, the organizations you're involved with on the internet and how can they support the work, good work that you're doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, Life After Hate is, is um, um, online. Um, we, there's a website there and um, yeah, Organization Prevention of Violence. Uh, yep, that's um, our Evolve program. Uh, yep, this is the program for folks that are looking to to leave uh, violent movements in general. And um, yes, uh, Life After Hate's Exit USA program. Yeah, so. Awesome. I will include uh, links to that in the program notes on YouTube and uh, Anchor Podcast. And uh, Brad Galloway has been my guest. Brad, thank you so much for responding to my inquiry and taking the time to, to share with uh, the listeners and the viewers. I really appreciate it. No worries. Yeah. Thanks for having me in. Yeah. Again, this is the podcast for Multifaith Matters. Uh, I hope you found this conversation helpful. You can find it not only uh, audio form, but video form on YouTube. And you can find this and other resources on the website at multifaithmatters.org. Again, I'm your host, John Moorhead. Thanks for listening and viewing.